because there's been a lot of. Uh, we're getting everything. They reminded me that I needed eggs. It's like. Oh, <laughs> that's okay. Today. I had her bring something for me and then I forgot. Brenda brings. No, it was it was a month ago. See, I don't think I think I don't think those beet greens are any good. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, so we are in this um, four week four week series called uh, relational ROI, and oh, that's your copy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just need these notes here. So, relational ROI, for those of you who aren't here, ROI is a financial term, which means return on investment. And so we looked uh, last week at Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, which is the parable of the talents. And so we looked at it from a different perspective as Jesus was teaching this he was teaching that those talents were your time your uh, your money and your abilities so what since this is a relational care class we decide to focus on those relational aspects that Jesus has given to us so this week we're actually going to dive a little bit deeper into those things that Jesus has and wants to invest in us. And we're actually looking at it from the standpoint of Matthew 25:14, And this is the first verse in the parable of the talents. And, um, and so that verse says, again, it will be like the son of man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So in these teachings that Matthew was doing that starts in Matthew 24 and goes through 25, he's trying to explain to those that are listening what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he says, again, it will be like he's talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So we want to look at that from the standpoint of Jesus says that the master calls his servants and he entrusts his wealth to him. So what we want to do today is we want to try to get an idea of what that wealth is. So we're calling this session relational wealth. Okay. Relational wealth. Because we, God is a relational God and we have been created relational people. We have been created relational needy, right? That might be a new term to some of you. Some of you that have gone through intimate encounters, which, by the way, I'm going to shoot a quick plug for intimate encounters. Um, Ann and Dave are starting intimate encounters in a small group in September. And Ron and Jean will um, do some backfill if their group fill up. But again, intimate encounters is a great program. It's actually made for couples, but the thing about intimate encounters is it's really an insight to really understanding the relational aspect of who our God is and what he requires, because it really is all about relationship. And when you look at the encounters that uh, Pastor Jason, Pastor Ray, and Pastor Steve have been talking about with Jesus, it's all relational. It's all about relationship, right? Uh, one of the things that is very uh, unique about God is when you look at Matthew 22, um, verses 37, the greatest commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that really points to how important relationship is. Relationship is everything, right? You would expect if man had written that book and you were talking about a deity such as God, the first thing he would have written was, you will obey the Lord your God. Now, we 
God calls us to obey, but God calls us to obey out of love, right? But it's interesting that God says, you shall love the Lord your God. The scripture says that God is love, right? And love is the deepest need that every human being has. Now, whether we know it or not, whether we accept it or not, whether our circumstances have blinded us to that fact, all of us want and need to be loved. It would be interesting, how would you feel if somebody came up to you and said, you know, the one thing that you could do for me above everything else is to love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. What if another human being came to you and spoke those words, right? What would you feel? What would that bring up in you? I would say that's the, the, the deepest, most vulnerable, most um, <coughs> intense thing that a human being can say to another, that what I really need from you is I need you to love me. And the beauty of this statement before we go on is that you have a God, right, that is all-knowing, all-powerful, all self-sufficient. He needs nothing from anybody. But his greatest command to you is that you will love me, right? You'll love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The other thing that that points out to me is that love is a choice, right? In our secular world, it's like, oh, well, you know, if I have these butterfly feelings and if you do all these nice things and if you just, you know, treat me the right way and, you know, if I get up on the right side of the bed, you know, then I might love you. But there might be times when I don't love you. God's statement by saying that his command is to love you, is that means that you're going to love him unconditionally, right? Good times, bad, highs, lows, right? And really, isn't that what each and every one of us, if we were honest in the deepest parts of our heart, long from another human being? That you're going to love me for who I am. Right? Imperfect as I am, with all my faults, that you're going to love me. Uh, that even applies outside of the marital relationship or the couple relationship, right? When we think about it deep down inside, what are, where do some of our hurts come from that we carry into adulthood? They come from exchanges we had as children where we weren't loved unconditionally. And it's not necessarily just parents. It could be siblings, it could be cousins, it could be in a classroom where your peers picked you out for some reason, identified you, called you a name, and not necessarily something as an adult that you would you would connect with, but they identified you some way and separated you from the group. And that, just that act created isolation for you and you did not feel loved. How many of us are walking around as adults that are walking in that kind of pain, right? Because we were not loved unconditionally. And yet, as Joseph points out, God who created us had the power to automatically put in us the you're gonna love me peace. I mean, you know, he created our DNA, right? And they say, okay, one part becomes an arm, the other part of the arm becomes the fingers, right? Well, he could have given us a little thing that says you're gonna love me, where there wasn't any choice. It was just the love God part. But yet he gave us the opportunity to choose to choose to love him. And in choosing to love him, he has ways that he is inviting us to express it, right? But we still got that choice. <clears throat> it makes it more. Exactly. 
Exactly. When, when Daddy creates something just real, but we choose mm -hmm. to love things. Or if I choose to love happy, mm -hmm. it's it's an honest thing. It's not just yeah, you love me, done. Right. You know what's that do for me? The, the question would be is love really love if it's not a choice you know we've made the statement before that nobody is in heaven because they are forced to be in heaven they're in heaven because they choose to be in heaven and some people look at me with big eyes going is that blasphemy Read your own Bibles. Last week I was saying, don't take anything I say up here. You all have a Bible. You got a million concordances that you can go to, right? But Satan would not have been able to fall or rebel and take a third of the angels with him if he didn't have choice. He and they. Right? He and they had choice. Because if they didn't, they wouldn't have been able to fall. If God would have made them as robots... Right? They wouldn't have had a choice. Right? Yeah. But what you said about heaven, one time when I read the scripture that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life also it hit me because when I was a child I thought, well, you have to earn heaven. Mm -hmm. But it says the wages of sin is death. We earn hell. We earn hell. The wages of sin mm -hmm. is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. Yes. Just as we like you said, we get to choose. Do you want to go to heaven? Sure. Mm -hmm. we, we can't earn it. Uh, that just, I don't know, it just hit me one yeah. time. We earn hell. Right. The, wow. the, but the thing that man always wrestles with <laughs> is you get the choice, but you have to go to God on, you have to go to God in heaven on his terms, not your terms. Right. right? And that's been the eternal struggle with mankind even today, is that I want to choose my own way to get to heaven. I don't want God to tell me that Jesus, there's only one way to heaven and it's Jesus, right? So we'll come up with all these different spiritual ways, you know, and you'll get people like, I won't say, because I'm on, but anyway, that, that used to believe that there was only one way, but now, because they are in the world, they will tell you, oh, there's just so many different ways to just get to God. Well, or you have to pay your way right. by taking classes. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to pay for the classes. And I'm I'm not talking about registration for some small group that's, you know, a hundred dollars or even two hundred dollars to go to a conference. I'm not I'm talking about thousands of dollars to take this class and then after you take that class, you gotta take another class that's another couple of grand because you're you're paying for your higher learning just like you would for a college degree, right? You know, or to apprentice to learn a trade, right? You might pay for that, but to ascend to the higher places in God. Yet God has freely given us by his own word. He has freely given us himself and his son. And he does with that, he's deposited into us relational wealth. And it's and when you get to the root of it and then we'll move on. When you get to the root of it, it's it's the same lie that the devil fell under, right? I want to determine my own destiny, right? I don't want God to determine my destiny for me, right? And that so. brings relational poverty. Okay, so moving on. So we want you today to, to look at when we talk about relational wealth, we want to be able to look at some of the um, things that Jesus really pours into us in terms of from a relational standpoint. So when you begin to study out all the relational wealth that Jesus has made available, and you can look at Second Peter 1, 3 verses... Uh, well, Second Peter 1, verses 3 to 11. We could go on for the next six months. 
But what I want to do is I want to look at five relational investments that I believe that Jesus makes in us that are critical to our development as faithful servants that produce spiritual profits for the kingdom of God. Again, five relational investments I believe are critical to our development as faithful servants to produce spiritual profits for the kingdom of God. The first one is acceptance. Receiving others willingly and unconditionally, even when their behavior is imperfect, and loving them in spite of any differences that may exist between you. The first scripture for this one is Romans 15:7. And it reads, Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So has anybody experienced acceptance from Christ? So here's another question. What did you gain by being accepted by Christ? Peace. Peace. Freedom. Freedom. Identity, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Romans 15, 7. The next one is approval. Building up or affirming another person, particularly for who they are as opposed to what they do. Affirming both the fact and the importance of our relationship with another person. Can I give an example? Uh, no, go ahead and read the scripture. Okay. So Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, <coughs> but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. You want the other one? Mm -hmm. Galatians 3.14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might, be, might come excuse me, <clears throat> to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So the important thing about Galatians 3.14 and as I was looking at this, um, what I realized was how central the cross is to the relational investments that Christ made for us. Because going to that cross, Christ really pointed out how valuable that he saw that we were that we are, right? So can we say that by him going to the cross, he actually modeled for us approval, that there was, that there was an approval that he approved of us enough, even when we didn't know ourselves who we were, enough for him to go to the cross and to give his life for us. So my other question is, what have you gained by being approved by Christ? Approval can also be mirrored with blessing. Has anybody experienced that in their lives? God's blessing, God's, blessing, God's approval. Self or like someone said on the other point, mm -hmm. identity, mm -hmm. confidence, mm -hmm. that when I feel when I'm approved, mm -hmm. then it's almost like, I'm good. I don't have to do anything almost. Well, I mean, I don't have to, mm -hmm. I don't have, if I'm already approved, mm -hmm. stamp, you're good, mm -hmm. you can, then I don't have to do something to gain that. That's right. I can just 
do something out of thankfulness. Okay. Uh -huh. Self-confidence. Self-confidence. Yeah, self-confidence. Mm -hmm. um, we are not thinking anymore on the way we used to live. Mm -hmm. So now, having the confidence of Christ, Mm. We uh, live in a different way, mm -hmm. so uh, we can do it through Christ. That's right. Yes, John. Well, uh, that approval part is, is, you know, that it don't have to always come from people. <laughs> so my, whether someone thinks a certain way of me or not, mm -hmm. I'm approved by God, and I understand that, mm -hmm. then that. I don't allow that to hold me back. Mm -hmm. I don't let that to be an obstacle. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, a lot of times in relationships, it's easy to get caught up on, well, what they think. Right. What they think. Right. What you think, man. Right. Should I do it? Even right. though it's the right thing to do. Right. You're not moving until you get that person. Right. Okay. Right. And from what we talked about last week, that's why it's so important to know God for yourself through your own reading and studying of the scriptures. Okay. Because once we come to salvation in Christ, right, it doesn't get rid of the old thought patterns. The pain, the hurt, the rejection. It doesn't eliminate that. Okay. Now scripture says it positionally you move from death to life. Okay. But you're still in the world and you're still carrying those things. Right? You're moving you going on that journey with Jesus through the scriptures, through your life, right? as Linda says, helps to change your identity, okay? By knowing who you are in Christ, what's been made available to, to you in Christ, and begins the healing process. Because if we don't understand that part of salvation, you have many parts of people that never grow spiritually. So they could be a Christian for 20 years, right? They're still cursing like a sailor, and they're still... All the stuff that they used to do before Christ, they're still doing after Christ, right? They've never grown spiritually. And as great as the teaching is upstairs, and, you know, you can go on TV, and you can hear all these different, different people... That is never a substitute for your personal relationship with Christ going through the scriptures, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of garbage out there. I heard a very prominent television preacher one time say that we were made in God's image, therefore one time God was a man. Right? So now, if you don't know the scriptures, if you didn't study the scriptures, right? Now you got this thought in your head. You start going around and going, hey, you know what? God was once a man. Where'd you get that from? Well, some guy on TV that he was going through Genesis 2, and he said, because we were made in God's image, um, we were made as men. And so if we were made as men, that means that God at one time had to have a man. And he that was a man. And he even went on and said, well, the reason we got five fingers is because God had five fingers. You see what I'm saying? Right? That's how people get lost in heresy. You've got to know the scripture and you've got to know God for yourself. Right? Because when I heard it, I'll be honest with you, I bought it. I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that makes total sense. That makes a lot of sense. Because isn't that what the scripture says? We were made in his own image. And right? In his likeness. And in his likeness. Uh -huh. So if something's made in his likeness, then he must have been a man at some time. Right? 
but I never read that. I never read that. God is spirit. What did you say, Tim? Well, that, he didn't get around to that part. He never got around to that because, of course, he was a man, right? He was a man, so, of course, he's going to go with that, right? Well, and we but, know that there is a particular, um, I'll call them a sect. Others would call them a cult. There's a particular sect that that is their belief. Their belief is that God was once a man. And um, the way you actually go and grow in your faith in, includes, um, this is the, the, the cultish part of this particular faith, is that you, you know, the way to access the celestial kingdom is to marry at minimum of two wives so that you will fulfill your destiny. Otherwise, you cannot be a part of God's plan after this earth, which is to dominate other planets. You cannot because you have not fulfilled your assignment here on earth. So does a woman need to marry two men also? No. <laughs> no, no. no, it only works yeah, with the man you're in a, you're in a male-dominant society? Come on. In another, there are... There are other sects, though. There are other faiths that do believe that women can marry more than one, but in this particular one, no, and that God was, in fact, a man. Yes? Um, I did have an old Bible study, though, that went through different uh, aspects of Christ and how he presents perfection, mm -hmm. and, and he presents perfection of both the qualities that are unique to, to men mm -hmm. and to women. Yes. And so... Even though men and women are created different, mm -hmm. Christ does present the perfection mm -hmm. of, of all of God. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And yep. that's why he's calling for oneness, right? Mm -hmm. Because by themselves, men cannot fully represent God. And by ourselves as women, we cannot fully represent mm -hmm. God. It takes both of us in his likeness and in his image to and walking out what he gave us to walk out. Because we could be his... You know, we could be crazy. We could walk around hitting each other, abusing each other all the time. And that still wouldn't represent what God's intention was. So God's intention is actually way greater than we actually have the capacity to put our fingers on. We can't fully grasp it. So to limit God to being a man or being a woman um, is really limiting him because he is, he is exponential. He's above and beyond anything we can think or ask. I want to ask you and take you back to this point of, of approval and and um, call out a name that some of you in this room would recognize, Nikki Cruz. Okay, Nikki Cruz was um, in today's lingo. They didn't call him that back then. But a gangbanger, right? What would have happened in Nikki's life? If he had never received the approval of God, would he have had the strength to walk away <coughs> from the gang life? He had such a powerful revelation of who he was in Christ and stepped out of what had been his relational sphere, right? what other people, as Johnny was saying, what other people were calling him or referring to him as, to take a stand to be what and who God made him to be. And in doing that, what impact has he had relationally for the Lord? Um, years ago, uh, five, six years ago, Kathy and I were setting up the other room for Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially then, it was physically you know, moving tables and chairs and uh, getting the audiovisual stuff set up and getting the registration tables set up, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Physically, it was like, we gotta get there right at six and we gotta get on it mm -hmm. and I'm this sweaty mess, that kind of stuff. One of the intercessors, uh, you might recognize this. Uh, it, it really stands out to me. I know where I was in that room, where he was, where Kathy was. He just kind of turned around as a guy that that walks in the prophetic. Mm -hmm. He just turned around and said, hey guys, how come the two of us? Uh, Daddy just wants you to know that he's really deep for me. And I was thinking, cool, we're working. This is, that's awesome. But he finished up with, and by the way, it has nothing to do with what you do. Uh, 
And it's like, you know, it, okay, every Tuesday night there was that. It was hard work, but it was easier. It felt different. It was like, this, this getting all sweaty and stuff has nothing to do with who I am in his eyes. I could do it or I could not do it. It was five or six years ago. I still remember, like I said, I know where he was standing, where Kathy was, where I was. And so that was a relational deposit made into your account. Yeah. The next one is attention. Conveying appropriate interest, concern, and care. Taking notice of others and making an effort to enter into their perspective worlds. These scriptures are 1 Corinthians 25, uh, 12, 25 and 1 Peter, 7, 1 Peter 5, 7. So 1 Corinthians 12, 25. So that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And then 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The question is, how does knowing that Jesus cares for you change your view on yourself? And your circumstances. Right now. For me, it's knowing that he always has my best interest at heart. No matter what the circumstances and the situation looks like, I know he has my best interest at heart. Even though I wanted to go to that trip, or even though I wanted to go here and said no, he had my best interest at heart when he said no. Amen. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Well, it's enforcing what she says, what it says in Ephesians 4, 6, yes, that I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you. And then it's, that one encompasses everything that he wishes to be or how he wants for us. Yeah, yeah. Then it gives us the contentment or the confidence to know he's going to be there for us. And when he says, I won't forsake you, see? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know which one is special. Okay. But it's the same way to reinforce me what she said. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. That's Jer Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, but yes, but you, know you have the principle. You have the principle, and it so, came from the Bible. Yeah. So, so in these things, what Jesus is doing is he's really modeling, mm -hmm. right? He's really modeling and pouring into us these relational investments, and these relational investments are not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of those that are in our sphere of influence. And that's really important because when we look back again on the parable of the talents, right? Jesus is looking for a return on his investment, right? He's looking for a return on what he's deposited in you. And so we do that not out of a sense of, and I want to go back to the, to the parable of the talents for a minute because, <clears throat> excuse me, there can be, um, There can be this this error atmosphere of Jesus being the hard taskmaster, especially when you read the parable of the talents and not have an overall view of the character and nature of Jesus. Right. You always have to look at that again through the lens of the cross. All right. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Right? While we were spitting on him, didn't want to talk to him, didn't want to know about him, he saw value in you enough to go to the cross. So when we go, when we have that picture of the cross, and then we go back and we read something like the parable of the talents, right? Especially when you get to the last servant, and he calls him a wicked and, and lazy servant, and we can look at that if we don't really, again, I keep harping on it, if we don't really know the character and nature of our Christ and of our God, you're going to read that and you're going to have the same outlook as the last servant. The last servant said, I knew you were a hard taskmaster. 
sowing, reaping where you did not sow, right? And so for him, it was out of fear, okay? The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment, okay? I go back to it again because what God is looking for is he has your best interest always at heart. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when you say, God, I don't know what's going on. This really sucks right now. Ooh, that's a suck in church. <laughs> even when it's like that, right, he has your best interests at heart. You think about it like somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? The guy had muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. And so when he got up there and he was all gleaming and showing his muscles, you know, guys were like, wow. That'd be really great to look like that. Right? <laughs> but then you talk to Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he will tell you how many countless hours he was in pain. The man suffered pain that you would not even want to even be associated with. He ate food you wouldn't want to eat. Right. <laughs> to look as good as he looked. The same thing happens in our spiritual walk. You see Christians that are, and you look at them and they go, wow, these guys are so anointed, their feet aren't even touching the ground. <laughs> right? And man, I wish I was like that. You sit down and talk to some of those saints, and they will tell you about some of the stuff that they went through, the heartache, the pain, the turmoil, right, that they went through to make them spiritually mature. And the Bible speaks about that. It speaks about God's discipline, right, to us. And why does he discipline us? Because he loves us and he's doing it for our own good so that we can be mature in Christ. So when we know these things and we're going through those times, we can say to ourselves, you know what? This isn't because you hear so many Christians. This isn't God. Oh, what did I do? You know, how did how did I like, you know, how did I, what did I do to God? Why is God punishing me for this? Right? Christian life is hard. It's hard. I'm sorry. It's hard. That's the reality of it. Right? It's hard. You know, we wear out the cart, we wear out the carpet next to our bed on our knees because we're going through stuff and we don't want to go through that stuff. But all the time, God's refining our character. He's refining our, He's refining us. He's making us stronger. And why is he doing that? Because he's going to get a return on his investment. Because when people see you and they go, man, the stuff that you're going through, how can anybody in the world deal with that? And you go, you know what? I got a rock that I'm standing on. That's how I'm dealing with it. And that rock is Christ. Right? And that person goes, Wow. When that happens, guess what? That's a spiritual return on investment for the kingdom. Can I speak to? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about Christian life being hard, it's not hard because God makes it hard. It's because God saved us to continue to be representative of him and we are still in the world. When Jesus died on that cross, the only thing that was redeemed was humanity that chooses to acknowledge that he paid the price. He didn't redeem the weather, right? Because we could still have tornadoes or sharknadoes. Or... <laughs> We're still going to have inclement weather, earthquakes. He didn't redeem that. He didn't redeem the animals, they're still groaning, the Bible says. They are still groaning in anticipation. Why are they groaning in anticipation, including the very earth? They're waiting for us to attain to what it is we need to attain to. That Second Peter 1, 3 through 11. And not just us in this earthly realm, but also us for who we are to be when we're done with this realm. Okay, God has a plan. He has a beautiful plan. I can't paint it for you. 
because I only have a sliver. I mean, I mean, you couldn't gain weight on the slice of the sliver that I have a glimpse into of that pie, right? I, I mean, it wouldn't even be up to 10 calories. That's how tiny my sliver is. But I'm here to tell you when we're going through stuff, it's not because God planned it that, oh, okay, here comes Joe. I'm just going to put this obstacle in front of him so that I can refine his character. God could refine his character laying in the bed. How many times have you been in prayer or just sitting quietly with your Bible and God brings some memory to you that has nothing to do with what you're reading, but it's something for which you need to repent? <laughs> you weren't even reading anything. You just all of a sudden are remembering, you know, how I was with my fifth grade classmate. Oh my, ooh, I, oh Lord, I'm so sorry, right? God knows how to bring that out. But when those obstacles happen, they can happen because of the enemy. Three quarters of the Bible was written without any real acknowledgement that there was a devil. Read your Old Testament again and count how many times the devil shows up. You know, like the de not 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 the serpent. I'm talking about the devil or Lucifer. I don't think you get to one hand. So things happen because he's orchestrating stuff, right, in the background. Because he doesn't want you to get to your destiny. And he doesn't want God to get his relational investment. So when we look at these things, it's important for us to recognize many of us, myself included, can feel, I could be the most depressed person if I wanted to in the Christian walk, simply because nobody discipled me. I could walk around and go, oh, I was never discipled, so I don't know how to live this life because nobody showed me. I'm so happy for you that you're in a church, you know, with other, you even are in a small group. Oh, I could do that. I still don't know how to live this life. Yes, Linda. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Say that again real loud. That's right. And if you have your word and you're willing to really like, okay, so I don't get it, God. What do you mean I'm approved? Okay, they're talking about approved. I'm approved of already. I don't get it. If you're willing to sit there with him and let him pour into you, because he can, supernaturally, those words somehow become spirit and life. And tell him, Lord, I, 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 this is my prayer. Ever since I watched Babe, I don't know if you guys remember that movie. <laughs> the, the, the pig and the sheep. The sheep were so dumb. I mean, like, weren't they? I, it's like one of my all-time favorite movies. And I say, God, Baram you. <laughs> Baram you. I'm a sheep. I don't understand. Help me understand. Break it down for me, please. No shame in my game. If I don't get it, I don't get it. God, show, how, show me how tithing can help me keep the devourer away. Show me. That doesn't make sense. I'm going to give you 10% of my money, and somehow I'm going to be able to make my bills. That does not make sense. Break it down for me. And even in this, we're talking about your identity, your your personhood. Well, how's he going to get something out of it if he doesn't put it into you? And if he if if you happen to be come to know him and are in a situation where you where you happen to be isolated, not because you isolated yourself. There's a difference. I didn't have discipleship, not because I isolated myself. It was because I got saved sitting in my rocking chair at my own house. And I didn't know the first thing about living a life in church. And there was nobody to teach me. He wants for you so much more than you want for yourself. And he wants you to get those needs from him. And then begin to follow his instruction and walk it out. Because here's the other thing. How can you give what you have not received? That's right. right. How can you give right. what you have not received? 
How can I go out and show mercy if I haven't received mercy? How can I go out and show grace if I haven't received grace? How can I go out and show love if I haven't received love? Right? We can't. Because if not, we try to make it up. We try to make it up in my own head and say, oh, this is what love looks like, so I'll give that. This is what mercy should look like, so I'll give that. This is what grace should look like, so I'll give that. If the creator himself doesn't give you truth on what true grace, true mercy, true love is, how can we give it? We can't. And so, let let me go back. And so, like the parable of the talents, right? Those servants could not have gone out and made anything for the master if the master hadn't first given them the bags of gold. Exactly. They couldn't have done anything. They could have gone out there with zero and go, okay, I'm going to get something from the master. What are they going to get? They got nothing. That's like you going to open up a 401k and you go, okay, yeah, I'm going to make lots of money in this 401k. And the guy with the 401k says, okay, well, you need to deposit $10,000. Well, I don't have a dime. The guy's going to look at you and laugh and show you the door. You're not making anything in that 401k because you didn't bring, you didn't bring anything. You don't have anything to give. We're able to give because we've been given. That's right. This this kind of leads into your next point. It's a scripture that is referenced in, in Joe's next point. But he comforts us during all things that cause trouble and pain for us. So then as a result, we ourselves can comfort other people who have any kind of trouble or pain. We can comfort them because God himself has comforted us. That applies to all our relational needs. He first gives it to us. The question is, do we recognize it when he's giving it to us? Or do we recognize it as fill in the blank? Because it's when we recognize, oh my gosh, I received approval. When I recognize that Christ died for me while I was yet a sinner, when I read that scripture in Romans, he, he, he died for me. He knew I was going to be born in, you know, 1992. He knew I was going to be born in 1956. And as a result, I have approval. That's the only place, excuse me, from which I can now begin to approve other people. So it's that same principle from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4, that I can operate. And so the the... As she just spoke about comfort, uh, it's the next of those five. It's number four of those five. Caring, caringly responding to a hurting person through words, actions, emotional responses, and physical touch. Hurting with and for others in the midst of their grief or pain. Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And so what I love about that particular scripture is it's very clear that when God comforts us, he comforts us, but then we go and we comfort others. And when we comfort others, again, that's the relational, and that's the relational return that Christ is looking for. Okay, He's looking for that from us because he's looking for us to be able to go out and to be able to help others, to help others to not only know him, but to help others heal. The last one is encouragement, urging others to persist and persevere in their effort to attain their goals, stimulating others toward love and good deeds. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build each other up 
Hmm. Doesn't say tear each other down. That's interesting. Okay. I'll read it again. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And Romans 15 and 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement, they might provide what we hope. Construction crew building people up or the demolition crew carrying people. Down. Come on now. Come on now. That's it. And when we build them up, what are we doing? Building up the kingdom. Building up, the kingdom. One of the things that the Lord uh, challenged me with was okay, so you're, you're praying for people, right? Praying in different situations. But then when you open your mouth to talk, you say, the opposite of what you just prayed. Words matter. They totally matter. So either I'm believing and praying into, you know, what I'm hoping for, or, and I'm partnering with it even when I talk about that situation or that person outside of my prayer time, or I'm beating them down. Now that doesn't mean that things don't things happen, and we, you know, in telling the truth, we have to tell what happened. But what is the motivation of my heart when I'm telling, or when I'm sharing, or when I'm expressing, or when I'm giving an account of something? And can I give the account of something that even begins to display the hope for which I'm praying? And that's not an easy one. It's it's one of those where the Lord is like, check, check, check. And it's a part of building our relational wealth and investing in others. Even when they're not around us, we are investing in them literally when, you know, when you pray for your son. He's not necessarily in the house when you're praying for him. He doesn't even know but you're building that person up. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up with these. Um, first of all, the relational investment that Christ makes in us is first of all because he loves us and he wants us to be in relationship with him. When we understand this and desire to become who he has called us to be, we will become servants who are eager to see others experience what we have received from the master. Profit for the kingdom will be the natural outflow of our willingness to serve him. Now I'm going to end with this scripture here. This is the scripture of the sheep, the parable of the sheep and the goats um, in Matthew 25. And it starts in verse 21. And Jesus says, when the son of man comes in his glory with all the, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as sheep, uh, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, underline king, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison to go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, <clears throat> you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are accursed into eternal fire, 
prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also would answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What we're talking about here is really critical because the righteous, right? They didn't even know that what they were doing, right, was representing Christ. Because they asked them, when did we see you, right? What they were saying was we were doing what we naturally knew how to do out of a transformed heart, out of a heart that understood what you did for us on the cross out of a heart that wanted us to love and to serve and to think highly of others. We were just doing what we naturally knew how to do, right? The other one said the same thing. Well, Lord, when did we see you, right? The problem was they didn't get it. They didn't get it, right? Maybe they were looking around for Jesus, right? Maybe they were looking to serve in a place that goes, oh, you know what, Jesus, look at this. Right? Jesus, look at that. Jesus, look at what I'm doing over here. Right? When your heart has been transformed, you're going to help somebody, regardless of whether they say thank you or not. And you're going to help somebody when nobody even knows. Right? Because it's not a matter of being seen. It's a matter of was my heart transformed, right? And the point of this is every time they fed somebody, every time they clothed somebody, every time they went to somebody's house and sat with them and prayed with them because maybe they lost a loved one, every time that they gave a cent, every time that they served, every time that they sacrificed, everything that they did was a return on investment of what Jesus did had given them. And when they come here, Jesus said, I know you were just doing what was in your heart, but that's what I was looking for the whole time. That's exactly what I was looking for. Right? So what I pray is that this will change our hearts so that we naturally live out of what God wants us to live. And we can do it if we choose that that's what we're going to do. Right? So Lord, our Father, I just... Lord, I just thank you um, for this time. And Lord, I just pray that um, this word would sink deep into our hearts. Lord, that we would, Leona and I too, would, would take this word to heart. That, Father, that we would be a transformed people. That we would be transformed in our heart to live the life you want us to live. Because we're so grateful for what you did on the cross. We're so grateful, Lord, that you came down for us, Lord, that wasn't even looking for you. We're so grateful, Lord, and to know that you love us and you care for us. Father, we want to obey you because we love you. We want to obey you because, Lord, we understand how much you have sacrificed for us. And so, Father, in that, I just pray that we would all get a revelation of that today. And, Lord, if there are any places in our heart where there's hurt or there's pain or there's brokenness. Father, that you would begin to walk alongside us and help us in those areas. Help us, Lord, to find the ministries like Cleansing Stream or Conquer Series or, or any of these other ministries, Lord, that we can go to. Father, that we can get help and we can get restoration. And that, Lord, that we can become the people that you're calling us to be. And that, Father, that we can be like the righteous. That, Father, that if there's one that's hungry, we can help. If there's one that needs clothes, Lord, we can clothe. Father, that we could be the people and we do it out of a loving heart. We do it out of a heart, Father, that loves you unconditionally and is willing to give all, to give everything for you because you gave everything for us. 
We thank you, Lord, and we just bless you. We seal this prayer by the blood of Jesus. And it's to you we give all glory, all power, all honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.